Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. You know, the ushers must have knew I need a little exercise to go from there around here. That's okay. I need it. Helps if I put this in the right direction. I am humbled and honored to be here today. I'm no stranger <laughs> to this place or this pulpit. Um, but I'm always mindful of the great task that it is to stand behind God's sacred desk, the pulpit. It's something that for 35 years, I never took lightly. It was always of utmost importance, as it is today. I want to say thank you for your prayers on my behalf. Um, about three years ago, I didn't think I'd make it. Guess what? I'm still here. And uh, as long as the Lord gives me life and breath, I want to keep preaching his word and sharing Christ with others. <clears throat> this morning we're going to look at the book of Job. It's an interesting book. It tells of all the troubles and trials that Job went through as he was tested, and yet he was a model of endurance. It's unbelievable what he endured when we read the scriptures. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father in heaven, I thank you today for your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify us in your word. Set us apart from sin unto you, dear God. <clears throat> and Lord, I ask today that you, Holy Spirit, would be present today, that you would open up our ears to hear and our hearts to believe. And Father, I ask that you would anoint me by your Holy Spirit with power and love and compassion. And Lord, today, you are the only one worthy of glory and honor and praise. And we love you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Charles Swindoll describes Job this way. Job was a man of unparalleled and genuine piety. He was a godly gentleman, extremely wealthy, a fine husband, a faithful father, in a quick and brutal sweep of back-to-back calamities Job was reduced to a twisted mass of brokenness and grief. The extraordinary accumulation of disasters that hit him would have been enough to finish off any one of us living today. Job was bankrupt, homeless, helpless, childless, He's left standing standing beside ten fresh graves of his now dead children on a windswept hill. His wife is heaving deep sobs of grief as she kneels beside him, having just heard him say, whether our God gives to us or takes away or takes everything away from us, we will follow him. Pause and ponder that grief. And remember, the man had done nothing to deserve such unbearable pain. Job, a model of endurance. But we must remember he's only a man, just like you and I. He was a man from the land of Oz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless. Blameless means innocent of of wrongdoing, totally innocent of doing anything wrong. And yet he suffered greatly. It doesn't mean perfection. It means he did not compromise with moral evil. He was a man whose business dealings were handled with integrity. He kept his word. He dealt fairly with others. As a result, he was respected by those around him, whether within or outside the family. He was upright. He held God in respect, and he consistently shunned evil. He was a man with character, and speaking of his family, Job was blessed with seven sons and three daughters. And by the time Job's story gets told, his children are grown, and he is at the peak of life. Interesting individual. The first thing we see in this text is Job's credibility. Job 1, verse 8. The Lord calls Job my servant. That's quite a title. My servant Job. Can he say that about you and me? 
We are his servants. And then he goes on, he says, there is no one on earth like him. Wow. No one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. It has been said that God cannot use you greatly until he has broken you deeply. Trials can be good for us if it brings us to the place of brokenness before God. A place of humbling. Even though we don't appreciate the trial at the time. <clears throat> Chris and I lost our grandson Elijah, David's son, on March 1st, 2023, in an auto train accident east of Tioga, North Dakota. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have lost a spouse or a child or a grandchild? Raise your hands. A lot of you. Some of you have lost recently siblings. And you begin to understand the grief of all that. And if you haven't lost a loved one in time, you will. I have officiated at hundreds of funerals in my years. And I know what it's like to sit on the mourner's bench because I've been there and when you've been there, you look at life in a different manner. People, life is short and eternity is long. And we need to know Jesus to spend eternity with him in glory. There's only one way, people. The world is deceiving us today and saying there's many ways to get to God. No, there isn't. There's one way. And it's only through Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 5 says this. I've used it a lot with families as they have lost a loved one. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. I want you to know there's only one source of comfort, true comfort, 
and that's in Jesus. And not only that, we, we have here the Father of compassion. Do you know what that means? This is a, a loving God who has pity on us in the midst of our grief. I don't know of anybody like that. Friends can console us. They can give their condolences. They can come around us. But true comfort comes from Jesus alone. I feel sorry for people that go through great grief and they don't know Jesus. They're to be pitied. The second thing we see is a man who offered burnt offerings on behalf of his children, verses 4 and 5. It says, after the children had finished feasting, he would send for them and offer a sacrifice for each child, remembering at this time they were grown children, but it was Job's regular custom. You know, we don't make burnt offerings for our children as we live in the New Testament times. But we are to pray for them on a regular basis, continually. This is our duty and responsibility as parents and grandparents to pray for our loved ones, our children. Don't mess up on that, people, because it could cost them eternity. Be diligent in praying. So important. You might even think that there's somebody that's, without, that's hopeless. There's no such person that is hopeless in the sight of God. We're all his creation. He loves us. But we're all not his children. There's a difference. The third thing we see is Job's first test. One day there was a conversation between God and Satan. God asked, have you considered my servant Job? Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you put a hedge about him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands throughout the land. He was the wealthiest man living in the East at that time. But, he says, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. God allowed Satan to test Job, but warned him, Satan, don't lay a finger on Job. He's mine. 
Don't touch him. You know, we'll never understand the testings of God. I've been through a number of testings lately from early on, financially, when I was being called into the ministry. They were some of the most difficult years of my life. I lacked training when it came to the being a pastor. I never had the privilege to go to seminary right away. Believe me, I learned things the hard way. But most of the learning came on my knees by my office chair. And Chris and I lost our beloved Elijah. And as I look out here today, I see people who have been suffering. I look at Dell. What he's been going through. I look at artists over here who has lost a spouse and, a, and three sons and a grandchild, and Joyce who has lost a spouse and a grandchild. Those are difficult times, people. And many are suffering. Many of you have been through testing. Many. I understand the testing of health. Boy, when you have your health, you're a wealthy person. Believe me. We will never understand why God allows testing. But his ways and his thoughts are far above our ways and our thoughts. He has a purpose in it that we'll maybe never understand. Verses 13 through 19, Job loses everything, including his 10 children. Can you get the picture of him kneeling down on this windswept hill, kneeling beside these 10 children? And I think we need to remember that he was, that these children were old, they probably were all married, they had grandchildren. And they probably died as well. Not to mention all the servants that were killed that worked for him. I can't begin to imagine that the tremendous loss and grief of Job. Job's response, and this is really important. First of all, 
Job got up or arose. You know, it takes a lot of energy to, to stand up when you're grieving. It's amazing how much energy is sapped from us when we go through a time of grief in our life. Job stood up. He arose. Not easy after what he'd been looking at. The second thing is he tore his robe. The outer garment that keeps you warm at night. Job grabbed the robe in the neck and ripped it and in ripping it, he announces his horrible grief. In the Old Testament, this portrays utter grief. He was hurting. And the third thing it says, he shaved his head. Shaved his head. Now in biblical times, <laughs> hair is always a picture of glory of an individual and expression of worth. It is a symbolic of the loss of personal glory. And this is to carry his grief to the lowest depth. You know, today this might not apply because people shave their heads. It's a whole different time we're living in. But in Job's day, it was a loss of personal glory. And the fourth thing we see is he fell. Palms down, face to the ground, prostrate. It was a position of humility before God. Flat on the ground, he was humbling himself before the living God. I don't know if any of us have been to that point, have we? Where we've been face down on the ground. But it's the fifth thing that really struck me. He worships. He worships God. Um, as he was flat on the ground, this was considered in ancient times the sincere expression of respect and submission to the Creator God. He was worshiping him for who he was, the creator, the one who had given everything. And as he worshiped, he spoke these words. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Wow. He was praising God 
in the midst of his terrible loss. I'll have to admit to you, worship was not my first response when our grandson Elijah died. Mine was grief and sorrow for myself and my family. I wish I could say that I worshiped instead. The question is here, did Satan win the battle? Did Job curse God to his face? No. In all this, the very last verse of that first chapter, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. You know, I've watched families as they've been through this. Some of them draw nearer to God, but some of them walk away. Some are angry. Some of them leave the fellowship of the church where they could get comfort and encouragement to go forward, but they choose not to. How sad. That's why we need to do everything we can to reach out to those families. We have a responsibility toward them lest they lose their way and fall away from God. I was weeping as I thought of our grandson, Elijah, who was killed in that auto train accident on March 1st. And I prayed, thank you, God, for giving us Elijah for 14 years and 11 months. I also remembered the word of God from Psalm 139, 15 and 16 that was shared earlier. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That means that our death date has been determined before our birth date was. Our days are numbered. I'm thankful that only God knows the number. Aren't you? I am. <clears throat> I also thought of all that Elijah would be spared from in this culture that we are living in. These are difficult days for young people and older people as well. The authority of scripture is being questioned today. 
And in this book, we have everything we need for life and godliness, people. It's all here. We just got to read it. And this is the verse that helped me. It's the same verse that Bernd Shaner's son shared when his dad had fallen out of the tree. It's Isaiah 57, 1 and 2. <clears throat> the righteous perish, and no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace as they rest, find rest as they lie in death. Devout men are taken away to be spared from evil. I believe that God has spared our Elijah from evil. We don't know what's ahead, but God did. And sometimes when we look at individuals who have died, I know my mother, just think she hasn't had to put up with this stuff since 1972. God spared her from maybe a lot of grief caused by her five children, I being one of them. <clears throat> what do we learn from this? First of all, God gave it all. Our lives, our breath, our children and grandchildren, our businesses, our ministry. And because it is his, he can take it back at any time. We are to be good stewards of the gift of God. I pity people who think they're self-made that they have gained all these things by their hard work and their wealth, they're to be pitied because it isn't theirs, it belongs to God. And he can take it away in a moment. That's what happened with Job. Sometimes we think we're so high and mighty I tell you, when I resigned up at Resurrection, it was a time of brokenness for me. I had no title. I had no church. I had no paycheck. And I went into a light depression at the time. It can disappear so quickly. Second, we desperately need the Holy Spirit in our lives. He gives comfort, strength, and help in a time of trouble. He is our comforter. 
and we can rely upon him in all circumstances. Third, the only way our families can cope with this, is, especially myself, is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God's Word, and prayer. That's where we got to turn. Don't walk away from Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve as the rest of man who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That's my hope. For Elijah, that I'll see him, and then he'll come with Jesus someday. We need to live in that hope, people. And what was Job's assurance in all this? You know, Job had a terrible time. The next testing was his health, how he got all those boils, and he took a piece of pottery and scraped his boils, and he sat in ashes, and he lived at the city dump. You talk about a broken person. That was Job. And yes, he said, cursed be the day I was born. I wish my mother would never have brought me into this world. And not only that, when you go through the book of Job, he also wanted to die. This is so unbearable, I just wanna die. That's desperation, people. And I've known people in the nursing home says, why do I keep on living? I don't want to live anymore. I want to die and go home and be with Jesus. But they keep living. God knows the reason. I don't. And his assurance came in Job 19, 25 through 27. I just have to admire Job. I know that my Redeemer lives, and then in the end he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Is that the yearning of your heart, huh? That someday you could see your Redeemer face to face and be in his presence for all eternity? Does your heart yearn for that? 
That's the greatest hope we can have. And fifth, be sure to tell your spouse, your children and grandchildren that you love them and give them a hug. My best asset is sitting right here in pink next to Jesus. She's my greatest asset and has been. I'm so thankful that last Christmas, that was the last time I saw Elijah living. But I gave him a hug and I told him I loved him. I'm grateful for that. People, go hug your children and your grandchildren and tell them you love them and that Jesus loves them too. They're so precious. And you know what? We need Jesus and we need hope in this day in which we live. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. But with him, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for your word today. Lord, you know all who are suffering and have heartaches and losses at this time. And God, you look upon us in pity. And you pray for us. Lord, help us to keep our focus in the right direction. And if there's somebody here who doesn't know Christ, by God's grace, I ask that you would invite Jesus into your heart. Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Be my savior, forgive my sin, and give me a new living hope and joy in him. In Jesus' name, amen.